Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Father, our hearts do adore you. You alone are worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. We sang a few moments ago, let the darkness fear. And the word God said, do not be afraid, for I am with you. We have no reason to be afraid. The one that needs to be afraid is the evil one, is our enemy. The darkness has to flee. The darkness has to fear. We have no reason to be afraid. Father, we welcome you here. We welcome your presence. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Father, I pray that every heart in this place would be encouraged. That every heart in this place would take hope in you and put their faith in you and you alone. And that fear would flee in the name of Jesus Christ. Because you've promised us we do not have to be afraid. For you are with us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for setting us free from sin. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you most of all for being with us. We give you all praise and all glory and all honor this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are so glad that you're with us this morning. If you're a guest, welcome Thank you for worshiping with us. This morning we're going to be starting a new series titled Faith Works. I wish I could sit down with each one of you this morning and listen to what comes into your mind when you hear and read those two words. Faith Works. I've been thinking a lot about these two words for quite some time. And maybe the simplest and most straightforward thing that's come into my mind is simply that. Faith works. Meaning that faith in God functions for a purpose in my life and in all the lives of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. We all know that words mean something. If they didn't, they'd be pretty useless, wouldn't they? So it's always important that we define words, especially when we're really digging into a particular concept. So I want to define these two words this morning. And first of all, faith. One definition for faith is it's the confident and continuous confession of total dependence on and trust in Jesus Christ to provide the necessary requirements to be right with God in every part of my life. And work or works can be defined, uh, these are just a few of the definitions as well, to exert oneself physically or mentally, especially in sustained effort for a purpose, to function or operate according to plan or design, to solve a problem, to bring into a desired form by a gradual process like cutting, hammering, scraping, pressing, or stretching over time produces a work. And I really like that last one as it applies to faith working in our lives. 
I think sometimes we forget that our walk with God is a gradual process over a period of time where He brings us into the form that He desires us to be. Just like clay in the hands of a potter. Looking at these definitions, we could say that faith is something that is internal or invisible. And work or works is something that can be seen or observed and oftentimes even produces a tangible result. For those of you that may have studied your Bible or spent a lot of time in the church, maybe much of your life in the church, these two words and definitions probably bring some other thoughts to mind as well. There's a long-standing theological discussion uh, regarding faith and works. And some would even describe it as faith versus works, like there are two opponents in a boxing match. As we walk through this series, we'll touch on all of these things, but our primary focus will be on the function of our faith. How our faith works. For example, how does faith work when we're in the middle of a trial? How does faith work when we're tempted? How does faith work when we're suffering? Those are very practical and real questions that we all ask. And again, we'll look at those and others as we go through this series by digging into the book of James. We, we talk a lot about context and background of Scripture being key to properly understanding and applying Scripture. So this morning's message is going to focus on the author of the book of James. I don't want to put anybody on the spot right now, but I was going to start out with a question. Who do you think wrote the book of James? James. Yes, yeah, somebody in the first one said Peter. It's like, no. <laughs> You're right, it's James. Yeah, very simple question. Most of us would get that answer right, but some of you may not know that James was the half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine what it would have been like growing up with Jesus as your older brother? You think they ever explained this to their friends at the playground? You know, they're out there playing and it's like, oh, well, Jesus is only my half-brother. We've got the same mother. My dad's Joseph. His is God. You think that would have gone over well? You think they shared bunk beds? You know, back, I mean, they possibly lived in a one-room house. Even if they had two, you know, all the kids would have probably been in one room. So whether they were bunk beds or in a line, you know, they were all in very close proximity. And I can just think, you know, one night late when Mary and Joseph are asleep and they're laying there and James is like, Jesus. Jesus, are you awake? And Jesus is like, well, I am now. What do you want, James? And I say that because that's what I did as a younger brother. I think that's one of the primary responsibilities of a younger brother, is to bug your older brother. But we would do that, and we would have those conversations late into the night when we shared a room together. And I'm sure that James and his other younger brothers were no different with Jesus. Because Jesus was the Son of God, yes. There was no deity in the rest of His brothers. So we know they were just like the rest of us. While this message is going to give us context to the rest of the series in the book of James, it's also going to show us how faith really works. 
because it worked in the life of James, Jesus' younger half-brother, which is really pretty amazing when you think about it. Can you imagine how hard it would be for you to accept that one of your half-brothers is the Son of God? I mean, really, seriously, think about that and consider that. Can you imagine the amazing work that God would have to do in your life and the revelation that He would have to give you for you to come to the point that you could really accept that your half-brother is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And it would have been amazing if even one of Jesus' siblings had come to a saving faith in their brother. But through Scripture, we know that James was not the only brother of Jesus to believe that he was the Son of God. Uh, Jude also wrote a book of the Bible and was also Jesus' half-brother. There's also evidence that Simon, or Simeon, uh, came to faith in his brother Jesus. And while his other brother and sisters, there's no record of that, there's also no record that says they didn't. These facts are actually among the most convincing evidence that Jesus Christ is who He said He was, that He really did live, that He really did die, and that He really did rise again from the dead. It really is amazing that Jesus' own flesh and blood brothers could come to a saving knowledge of their brother as the Son of God. We're going to take a look at this progression in James's life because it absolutely did not start out that way. We know that Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters thanks to the Scripture. One of these references is found in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Mark wrote, "Is This is other people talking about Jesus when He came back home. He said, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters with us here? And they took offense at him. So we have four brothers by name and at least two sisters because the plural form is used. We also know that they didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was at this time because of what Mark also wrote. In chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Then he, speaking of Jesus, went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. So rather than accept Jesus as the Son of God and follow him at this time, his own family went to pick him up and take him away because people were saying, he's nuts. He's crazy. And at this point, Jesus had gone to his hometown and he was around the people who he'd grown up with and they were appalled that he would be saying he was anything or anyone special. Some were saying that he was crazy. Some were saying that he was demon-possessed. And his own family, his brothers and sisters and mother, come to take him away, most likely to save themselves from the embarrassment. One thing is for sure, at this point, they were not followers of Jesus as the Messiah. John also gives an account where Jesus' brothers were trying to get him away from not only the people around them, but from them. 
John 7, 3 says, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. If you just read that part, it almost looks like they're really being encouraging. Like, go out there and show them, Jesus. And then we read verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. They just wanted to get rid of him. They wanted him to get away. They were thinking, Jesus, you might be crazy, but if you stay around here, they're going to think we're crazy too. Just go somewhere else. And remember, James grew up with Jesus. They're brothers. For James and his other brothers and sisters, it had to be very difficult to believe that their brother could be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. But never underestimate how faith works. What could have possibly changed their mind? How about seeing your own brother, your half-brother, live and then be crucified and die, be buried, and then come to life again? That might have an impact on your view of your older brother. You might start thinking, maybe something else is involved here. Maybe God really did Uh, bear him as a son through our mom Mary. Maybe this is really true. And Acts 1.14 tells us that James was in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. It says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In 1 Corinthians 15.3, Paul tells us that James was an eyewitness of his brother's resurrection. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, which is uh, another name for Peter, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, and though some have fallen asleep, then He appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. I can't even begin to imagine what that conversation would have been like when James encountered his brother Jesus after being resurrected from the dead. His brother, he comes to realize, really is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And faith worked such a miracle in James's heart and life that he could humble himself to worship his brother and follow him as his Savior. Again, think of your siblings, half-brothers, half half-sisters or not. How many of you would fall down at their feet and worship them? Nobody. We actually have reference in Scripture when Joseph told his brothers after dreaming that they were going to all bow down to him, they didn't even do it. They said, we're going to kill you. And instead they sell him off into slavery. 
And he says later, you know, all of it was, was part of God's plan, but the point is, your siblings are not likely to worship you unless they really believe it's true. And James went from being ashamed of his brother to worshiping his brother. Faith worked in the life of James and his heart was changed and he believed. Not only did James come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, he became an apostle and a leader in the church and was the leader in the church at Jerusalem. In Galatians 1.18 it says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, again speaking of Peter, and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Paul let us know that he and others considered James an apostle, even though he wasn't one of the original twelve. One of the things that goes with the definition of apostle is that they just had to be with Jesus all through his ministry. Well, I guess James gets credit because they grew up with him. <laughs> they were with him their whole lives. In Galatians 2.9, Paul writes, And when James and Cephas, Peter, talking about Peter again, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So James was a pillar in the church along with Peter and John. In Acts 5.13, Paul writes, uh, After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. And then in verse 19, James says, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. This is speaking about when Paul came back to Jerusalem to argue the fact that the Gentiles did not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And it's James who speaks up and James who gives the judgment on the issue. All this is just to say that James became uh, one of the primary leaders in the church at Jerusalem, even to the point of, of defining the doctrine of the church. And this was the half-brother of Jesus who went from being ashamed of his brother, of, of denying the fact that he was the Christ, to not just coming into a faith, but it working in his life to such an extent that he would live his life for his brother who he now knew to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah that they had always been waiting on. And then it would be recorded later by the historian Josephus that James would actually give his life for his faith by being stoned to death. James had a remarkable testimony. He went from being ashamed and embarrassed of his brother Jesus to being so convinced that he was the Son of God who lived and died and rose again for him that he was both willing to live and die for Christ. This was a gradual process that happened over time, a work that God did in and through the life of James And thanks to Scripture, we get a glimpse into that transformation and can say without question that faith worked in the life of James. The internal work happened over time. And as we said earlier, that part is invisible. But after that work was done, the work of faith continued in James' life so that what was invisible became visible through a changed and transformed life. There's some 
theological principles or words that we use to define what we've been talking about this morning and this progression of faith that we see in the life of James. And that three of those are uh, justification, regeneration, and then sanctification. And those are some big, big words. Again, I'll define them for you right now. But two of these we have no part in. They're gifts from God, but one, God invites us to participate with him in it. So the first is justification, and that's what that's where a lot of times people would say Paul and James um, and the faith and works come into conflict, that uh, Paul would say that we come and are saved by grace alone, uh, and, and, and the scripture says we're saved by grace alone, that nobody can boast. And James would make con- comments about, well, you say you have faith, but show me your works, and I'll show you my faith. And people say, well, now he's saying you have to work to be saved. And it's not true. That's not, it's two totally different discussions. So Paul's talking about justification. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, died for our sins, rose again, and took the punishment for our sins so that we could be justified. So we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and God says, I take the punishment that Christ uh, suffered as your punishment, and now you are justified, you are right, you can be in a relationship with me, and you or I can do nothing to deserve that or earn that. We could work for good works our entire life and never earn a piece of that because we were justified by grace. And the second word, regeneration, is talking about the new life. Scripture says that we literally go from death to life in Christ Jesus. We go from being dead in our sins to being able to live the rest of our life and all of eternity with Christ. And again, we have no part of that work. The baptism is, is uh, an example of that. As you go under the water and, and come up, it's a symbol of the work, that invisible work that we believe in by faith that happens, that we have died and rose again and are now a new life. But think about when you were born, when you were a baby, Does anyone stay a baby for their entire life? Paul actually admonishes some believers because he says, you're still babies, you're still drinking milk, you've been following Christ for a long time, by now you should be eating meat, you should have started maturing, but you're still a baby. They were still justified, they were still regenerated, there's still a new creation in life, but they were still a baby. And the work of sanctification is the one part of the work that God does in our life that he invites us to participate with him in. Where work comes into play. And Paul talks about it too. When he talks about fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. He's saying once faith uh, through justification and regeneration has done its work in you, you should start producing fruit. And that's what James focuses on. And so what I wanted us to see in this message is that faith did its work in James. So James is going to be speaking to us from experience from what he himself learned and went through. And it's written to believers, to Christians. And it's encouraged believers 
since then, and it's going to continue to encourage believers to work out the process of their sanctification in their maturing walk with Jesus Christ until Jesus Christ returns. We're going to look at one verse, the very first verse this morning of James before we close. It's James 1.1. And this is how James starts out. He says, James a servant of God, which is also another word for slave. He's saying a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's gotten to a point where now he's saying, I am only a servant, a slave of God the Father and my half-brother, Jesus Christ. But notice, he doesn't reference his brother here. He doesn't say, I'm the brother of Jesus Christ, even though Paul would recognize that in his letters. James was not going to, throw that name out to impress anyone. And I think just even seeing his humility at this point is, is telling. I shared with, with the first service, I actually, a few months ago, had an encounter with the brother of a semi-famous um, person. I'm not even going to mention his name because most of you wouldn't even know who he is. Um, but it was somebody who I knew who, who he was. And uh, so I meet his brother, and the very first thing that he tells me is, I'm so-and-so's brother. And I was around him for a few hours, and more people would come into the discussion, at least four or five, and every single time he would say, I'm so-and-so's brother. And I felt so sorry for him. That there, you know, he didn't have enough identity in himself that all he could do is tie himself to his brother. And as I was studying James and looking at this and reminded of that situation, I was just thinking, you know, yeah, it's one thing to tie yourself to, you know, a not-so-known celebrity. But man, if you could tie yourself to the Son of God and say, that's my brother, you know, that actually would mean something. Yet James did not, uh, doesn't do that. He says, I'm just another servant, another slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that James might have been recalling Jesus' own words when he started writing this letter because we read earlier uh, that he, when he and the rest of the family went to go get their crazy brother, a few verses later, Jesus has a response when they say, hey, Jesus, your family's here. They're here to take you away. And in Mark 3.35, Jesus says, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus was saying, I don't have any flesh and blood brothers or sisters or mother. Jesus said, All of my family will come through faith. And as we have seen this morning, James the half-brother of Jesus, became a true brother of Jesus for all eternity by faith. We're going to be looking at James's own words regarding faith and works for the rest of this series. Something interesting that I came across as I studied this that I hadn't ever heard or read before is that James is actually considered wisdom literature in the New Testament. It's even called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And many attribute this to the fact that James's letter to the church comes from a place of prayer. According to church traditions and writings, James carried the nickname Old Camel Knees because of the thick calluses that were built on his knees from many years of determined prayer. 
James is considered a book of wisdom and prayer is always foundational to wisdom. Another important thing to note is the audience. I mentioned earlier that he was writing to Christians, those who had already come to a saving faith. And James practically and faithfully reminds Christians how to live out our faith. Put another way, James reminds us how faith works. And for the remainder of this series, we're going to be looking at how faith practically works in our life. This book of wisdom has encouraged believers since the foundation of the church, and it's going to continue to do so until Christ returns. And my prayer is that we will allow it to encourage us, to let the Holy Spirit empower us and strengthen us, that invisible faith within us on the inside so that we might produce fruit and works that can be seen on the outside as a witness to the work that Christ has done on the inside. Maybe you have doubted yourself that Jesus Christ came to live and die and rise again for you. Maybe you've doubted, just like James, the half-brother of Jesus who was embarrassed and ashamed of his brother. But maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you of the truth who Jesus Christ is. And you can believe in Him and receive Him today and literally go from death to life, being birthed again and starting out as that infant to begin maturing as a believer in the faith, just like James. And for those of us already following Christ, I pray that James will encourage us to allow what Christ has done in our heart to shine through in our actions as a witness and testimony that faith really works. That the process of justification and regeneration did totally transform us, did renew us, did save us and bring us from death to life and into a relationship with the Father. And now we are working with Him in the process of sanctification as He matures us from infants into mature believers. And no matter how long you've been walking with Him, that process will never end we will continue maturing in our faith till the day we die. That work is continual. But He invites us to work with Him in that process. It really is work. But He's with us. Will you bow your head with me as we close in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You. I thank You for the work that You did in Jesus Christ. I thank You that You uh, sent Him, that He willingly came to live the life that we were all called to live and not only live that life, but make a way that we could rejoin you in the relationship that we had broken. Father, I pray that if there is anyone in here this morning that that has not uh, come into a relationship with you, that this morning as your word was being preached, as the word of God was spoken, that just as James came to the realization that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that their heart was stirred to believe for themselves that He is the Son of God who came to live and die and live again for them. And if they merely believe and receive Him, then they have been justified. That every sin ever committed is forgiven and they are immediately and instantly regenerated into new life. 
and can start that walk of sanctification with the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, and for those of us who are already walking with you, Lord, I pray that we are encouraged and that your Holy Spirit speaks to us, that our ears are open to hear, our eyes are open to see the work that you are doing in our life and around us, that we might participate with you in that work. Lord, we give you all glory and all honor and all praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. In uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Both the Holy One who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. We're all in that same walk that James is. I encourage you this week, cheat. Read ahead. There's five chapters in James. One day a week. Okay? And then the next message will really, really feed you because you've already got the appetizer. Okay? Sorry. I probably shouldn't. He's good. The pastor's good with it. Y'all can cheat. He just said it. Okay? <laughs> Let me give you a few quick announcements. If you miss anything or you don't understand what I'm saying, go to newcovenantlampasses.com. All this information is there some way or another so you can see it again. There will be middle school and high school youth tonight at 430 in the West Building. Life Groups and NCC Kids is on Wednesdays at 6.30. Look at our website or in the church directory to see which uh, life groups are meeting, where they are, and what they're covering. Um, we do have one new life group that is just starting this Thursday, the 27th, at 6.30 p.m. in the conference room. It's called Grief Share. It's to help people work through and get healing if you've had loss in your life. Family, friends, or otherwise, if you've suffered loss and you would like help going through that process, Join Grief Share. It will be good for you. Um, we also have a new connect, connect class that will start February the 6th at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings in the Fellowship Hall. Come and get to know us, and more importantly, let us get to know who you are. Okay? That's February the 6th. Uh, February the 11th is our churchwide married couples Valentine's Day event. If you're married, you would like to do something for Valentine's Day, come here. You need to buy a ticket. Because there's going to be catered food and entertainment. Come dressed as your favorite movie duo. Lilo and Stitch is already taken, so you can't do that one. There will be prizes for the best dressed. Of course, there's child care available, birth through five years old. By reservation, the last day to turn in your tickets is next Sunday, January the 30th. Do not wait very long for this. And lastly, next Sunday that I just mentioned, the 30th, is a fifth Sunday of the month. And if you've not been here, it means we will have family worship. The child care will only be for birth through five-year-old or pre-K. Everybody else gets to be in here with us. So it's a good time. So next Sunday, it's going to be crowded. Come early. Get a good seat. All right? Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for walking with us. Thank you for calling us brothers and sisters. And Lord, thank you that through the process of walking with you, we get to know you better and get to let other people know who you are better through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 